0: All right, it's great to be here this morning. I hope that y'all had really good life groups in that first hour, and uh, I'm really glad to be here on a graduation Sunday holiday weekend. Um, I'm really really excited about what God is doing in the life of our church, and I've honestly I've been really uh, loving this series going through First Corinthians. It's been uh, a book that I don't know that I've ever actually set through a series in all the years that I've been a Christian. I don't think I've ever Set through an entire series through the book of 1 Corinthians, so that's kind of awesome. Today we're continuing that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Um, if you would go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, if you have um, an iPad or an iPhone or uh, one of the off-brand phones, just kidding, the Android phones, you can go ahead and open those, get the Bible app, and I promise no more cheesy jokes, I, I can't promise that. Okay, one of my favorite things to do is to peruse the internet for satire. I find it to be greatly uh, relaxing when things get really, really tense and I don't know how to handle all of the conflicts that are coming at me on a regular basis. I go to satire because it gets me, like down on a deep level. Satire is... Funny, it's supposed to be, right? Um, But sometimes it can get taken a little bit too seriously. Here are some of my favorites from one of my favorite satire sites. It's called the Babylon Bee, um, if you've heard of it. If you haven't, you should look it up. It's hilarious. Okay, here we go. First one, mountain climber recovering after decision to let go and let God. (laughs) Right? That's pretty good. Some of you will get it in a minute and it'll be like a joke later, right? Let go? Okay. Man drowns while politically correct passengers describe what just went overboard. (laughs) Federal judge orders Chris Tomlin to stop adding choruses to perfectly good hymns. (laughs) A megachurch installs water slide to speed up their baptisms. Congress reportedly has passed a law banning the playing of Christmas music before Thanksgiving, even in your own private homes. (laughs) And the last one, definitely my favorite, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is what we are, um, has purchased the fast food giant, Chick-fil-A. Right, okay, so satire's awesome. You kind of get how it goes, right? It says something that's not true, but in a way that makes you think, okay, yeah, that's funny. Okay, so the good thing about these particular articles that I picked out, right, I'm not going to dissect them, I'm not going to go into detail about what all was in the article. Um, They were all really funny, though, so you should definitely go check those out on your own time, right? But all of these that I read for you today were all fact-checked, like, by a fact-checker. So if you saw these on Facebook or Instagram, it pops up on your thing, and you click the deal. It pops up and says, this article has false information. (laughs) Obviously, it's a satire site, right? It's supposed to be a joke, man. And they completely missed the point. Well, when we're looking at at God's Word, this chapter is a chapter that I find a lot of pleasure in teaching because Paul puts on his youth pastor hat for just one chapter. Actually, the next several chapters. But really, in this chapter, he puts on his youth pastor hat and all of a sudden, he's talking to a room filled with junior high kids. Right? He writes this letter and says, Dear Junior High of Corinth, And he's writing to them in a manner that I would speak and have spoke many, many, many times to junior high kids in a uh, fashion that is uh, filled with satire, dripping with irony, filled with sarcasm, and so, so, so true in so many different ways. And you just find a different way to break it to them. Let me give you a couple of examples, right? Junior high kid comes in really, really excited, about how they just got some athletic position in school. And as they come in, they slip on the floor and land on their bottom. And as the youth pastor, it is my job not to point and laugh. That comes later, right? (laughs) But to say, yeah, you're such a good athlete, right? Yeah. Okay. Some of y'all, y'all get that later. I promise it's coming. Okay. So when we're looking at this passage, he does a lot of that. So we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter four, and I'm going to ask you to put on your sarcasm. I don't have a sarcasm sign that I can hold up every time he's being sarcastic, but Y'all got to help me out, right? So every time there's something in the passage that's sarcasm, I want you to, to make a note of that. Like, that's probably something that's not true. He's being sarcastic. He's filled with satire. Okay, y'all following me? So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. If you would, stand with me for the reading of God's word. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you have received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ Jesus. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we blessed, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some of you are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Y'all may be seated. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God that gives us grace. Your word teaches that you give grace upon grace. And we thank you that uh, as we read your word, that you would look at at your church... uh, even when we're prideful, even when we're sinful, and that you would bestow on us a great deal of grace because we absolutely need it. God, we pray for forgiveness in areas where we've been uh, broken, and we pray that this word would not be uh, just in our minds a letter that was written to a church years ago, but that it would be applicable for us today. So, Father God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so recap right quick. We've been in this series for quite some time. I'm going to recap very briefly the first three chapters that we have up to this point because it kind of ties in with chapter 4, doesn't it? So chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians is to the arrogant Christians at Corinth. The, God uses the, the nothings. It's something that is, is commonly said in the, in the first chapter, if you were to read it. God uses the nobodies, the nothings. He's, he's quickly calling them to repentance of their arrogance, right? And then chapter 2, he's telling them to seek spiritual wisdom right? They're not, they're not people that are wise. They think they're wise, but they haven't reached that level of maturity that Paul wants for the church. He talks about uh, giving them milk instead of meat in chapter three and says, even now you're not capable of a meal like steak. You need to go back to the formula. You need to go back to that simul- simulac diet, right? And then in chapter three, he continues that they have a need to be unified, because they're disunified. They're arguing amongst each other, who's better? Who's the better pastor? Who's the better preacher? Who's the better disciple that we should follow or model our lives after? And ultimately, Paul calls them out and says, hey, one of us waters, one of us plants. God gets all the glory. We're on the same team. And you get to chapter 4, And he begins uh, in in verse 6, he says, I have applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. He's talking about everything that he's mentioned in this letter so far. He's saying we've applied spiritual wisdom to our lives. We've uh, come from a state of, of nobody to a state of somebody. He's saying that, that, uh, that they have been able to have the meat in their diet because they have got to a place of maturity where they could handle it. And he's urging all of the churches to follow suit in that, to grow in the likeness of Christ by following these teachers, these apostles that are presenting the good news in the gospel of Christ. But... The church is kind of full of themselves. And it's not enough for him to say, hey guys, y'all are being a little arrogant. Could you please like come down a level on the ego, please? No, he's got to talk to them like it's junior high camp, right? So Paul, the youth pastor, youth pastor hat, he's saying, hey, Church of Corinth, y'all are doing great. Really good. Y'all are so rich and so strong. Oh, how strong and rich you are. Oh, like the kings, you are like a king, yes. Are you following me? Dripping with sarcasm, and it's kind of a great thing. So he has kind of two messages that he presents here, and I'm going to try to do it all in one. He has a message for the arrogant church, the weak church, and then he has a message for what it's supposed to be, the strong church, the strong disciples, and what they need to be going after. So I'm going to jump right in. in. In the weak and foolish Christian, I wrote down three things that he points out. The first one shows up in verse 6, right? Verse 6, I'm going to read the, the second part of it to you once again. He says that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. You see, the foolish or weak Christian thinks of themselves as higher than other people. They think of themselves as higher than other people. They put themselves on a pedestal. Um, There's a lot of different reasons that this could be the case, but it's something that happens over and over again in our society, isn't it? We build ourselves up. I'm the best. I'm first chair. I'm in the top 5%. I'm in the top 3%. Graduated second in my class. Good job, kid. Maybe uh, in your profession, I'm the best, ranked, so good. I'm awesome. Never make a mistake. I do the good things. I put in all the work. I put in all the effort. I graduated, top of my class. I've got everything together. You should see my work ethic. I don't know anybody else with a work ethic like me. Have you seen those millennials try to work? They don't have a work ethic like I have a work ethic. And don't get me started on Gen Z. You see, from the time that we're really young, we are taught to climb ladders. We climb ladders in every aspect that we do. In Christianity, that's not really the way that it's structured. There's kind of this uh, bizarro Superman land, right? There's this this upside-down way of thinking. You've got this mentality of, of the good is the bad, the best is the worst, the highest is the lowest, and you see it all through the New Testament. Paul's talking about it right here again, and he says, hey, get off your high horse. Get off the pedestal. We're all in this together. Be unified. You see, when you're getting into this uh, mentality of favoring one above another, one of the ways that we have a tendency to do that is by kicking the legs out of the people that are trying to get up with us we do we do it over and over again you say hey i'm really great somebody else is coming up and you're like yeah but you know they're not really as great as me i mean have you heard what they did over and over again a church that is prideful a christian that is prideful the weak christian is going to do this over and over again number two The weak and foolish Christian thinks their strengths and status are a result of their own efforts. Now, don't shoot the messenger, right? I know we live in America. I know that all of you graduates are pursuing the American dream. Kudos, right? Good job. But here's what what he says. He's saying, hey, don't think that the things you're good at are a result of your own doing. It's pretty simple. I value hard work, I value a work ethic, right? I think that you should work hard, but I don't necessarily think, Paul is right here, he doesn't necessarily think that the person with the best work ethic is the one that achieved all of the things. He kind of says the opposite in verse, uh, verse seven right here. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? It's a rhetorical question. Everybody that's in Christ already knows the answer to that. What do you have that you did not receive? In Christ, we know that God is sovereign over all things. He gave me my gifts. He gave me my talents. He gave me my strengths. He gave me my weaknesses. Everything I have in life, I give credit to God because he is the one that brought me here. He's the one that brought me to the stage. He's the one that brought me to this place. The credit goes to God. The arrogant Christian, the credit goes to themselves. I put in all the extra time. I did all the extra work. I did all the things. I did all the stuff. And now I've got the status. It's contrary to strength when it comes to Christ. The opposite. The obvious answer to the rhetorical question is, you didn't do it, right? I didn't flat out say that, but It needs to be said rhetorical question doesn't need to be answered we're answering it anyways you didn't do it it wasn't you God did it number three the weak and foolish Christian thinks that the gifts from God equal maturity now this one sets you back for a second it really does It really does. Some of us do have talents. It's obvious that some of us are more talented in certain ways than others. It's obvious that there are people in the room that that seem like they have all their stuff together and they have a reason to brag because they have all of their stuff together just because you have gifts from God, whether it be that you're an incredible athlete, you have an incredible business, you have a lot of money, you have a big house, you're able to get up in front of people and speak, you're able to lead a small group that brings people to tears, you're able to be the best classroom manager you're able to be the best manager you're able to run the best warehouse whatever it is that you're the best at there is a reason for it but just because you have a specific gifting doesn't make you mature it doesn't make you grown up and guess what god uses broken people over and over again he used david If I was planning it, I wouldn't have picked David. He used Moses. If I was planning it, I wouldn't have picked Moses. He picked Jacob. If I was planning it, I certainly wouldn't have picked Jacob. He picked Saul. If I was doing it, I wouldn't have picked Saul. I am so glad that I am not God. And I'm so glad that you are not God. We look at this picture and, and these people that had their different giftings. Right? These people that had their different giftings, God was able to bring them out of the gutter into a life that he directed them to, and they oftentimes, out of pride, took credit for it. And God was like, no, 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 no Moses, not so fast. I know you just smacked the rock and water came out of it. You're not that strong, man. So we look at this over and over again, Gifts from God don't equal maturity. You see, I can be living in sin and God can still use me. I can be incredibly immature and God can still use me. I can be completely broken and nothing and God can still use me. That's the beautiful part of the gospel. When you have this picture of a weak and foolish servant, they say, I got this. And a strong follower of Christ, a disciple looks at the odds stacked against them and says, God's got this. I don't. In the book of Luke, just to drive the point home, there are the disciples of Christ. Solid guys, most of them, at least 11 of them, right? Pretty solid. And Jesus tells the group, hey, I'm about to be betrayed and I'm about to be killed. And these guys that had been following him for three years, just like any good human being, said, Oh, no, that's not cool. You're going to be killed. That's no. That wasn't their response. Their response was kind of different from that, wasn't it? In Luke, when you look at the passage, he's, <laughs> he says, Hey, I'm about to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. And they started thinking, mm, I think that's going to be John. John's the one that's had the shady things on his mind the whole time I think John's the guy that's going to do it well I think it's going to be Judas no 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 not me I think it's going to be Peter they start pointing fingers at who the worst is among them and then right after that without skipping a beat the disciples who become the apostles that founded the church start saying well I might not be the, the one that's going to do it. I'm actually the best, right, Jesus? I'm the one that's going to be at your right hand. I'm the one that's going to have everything together. Like, like, when you do your kingdom, like, I know it's going to mean you die. I know it's, like, all this stuff. Like, I get that. But after all that happens, it's going to be me, right? Buddy? No. No. Right, the, 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 the thing of the human condition from the church from the very beginning. We give ourselves the credit. We puff ourselves up. We're arrogant. And you get this picture of a weak Christian. Not strength, but weakness. But he goes on and talks about the way that it should be. He says the strong or wise disciple is Humble. Number one, sees diversity of gifts and people as a strength or a benefit. You see, I see this room and I see people that are skilled in different ways. I see a a room that's got a bunch of different strengths and a bunch of different weaknesses. But what the Bible teaches is we can do a whole lot more as a church than as an individual. There will be more people that come to faith in Christ because of a movement that comes out of the church than out of any strong speaker that's ever going to stand up in front of you. The church diverse is when unity can be at its strength. When the church can be at its strongest, when a disciple can be at his strongest and at her strongest, is when they come to the realization that alone, they can't be at their full strength. But together, that's a force to be reckoned with. The second thing is this. This one's really hard, guys. A strong, wise disciple embraces the low status. They embrace the low position. You see it over and over again, the, 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 the lowness that, that has taken place in these apostles. While Paul's writing, he's like, hey, we're a spectacle. We're being paraded to our death, right? Most commentators believe that they're actually going to the arena where the gladiators are to be put to death in the arena, right? That's the, the imagery that he's saying right here. We're the low down. We've been hurt. We've been beaten. We're hungry. We're sick. And they embrace the low because he says, it is not about me. It's not about me. So there was this lady in my church growing up, College Baptist Big Spring. Her name was Miss Chick. And Miss Chick has a lot of different things that uh, I took away over the years. And if you've heard me preach very many times, it's pretty likely that you have heard one of them. But one of my favorites that she used to say is, if you think you're green... You're probably growing but if you think you're ripe you're probably rotten it's a good takeaway right from the time I was like a little kid if you're green you're growing if you're ripe you're rotten right don't have a big head don't feel like you've arrived and it's pretty likely that you're gonna keep growing in the right direction well guess what this side of eternity we don't arrive There's kind of this already but not yet mentality. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, God has done a work in our life. But at the same time, God is still doing the work of salvation in my life. He's still growing me, thank the Lord, that maybe in 10 years I'll be a stronger believer than I am right now. Maybe at age 42 I'll be a stronger believer than I am at age 32 because I am still growing. He's working on me still. You see, the strong believer, just like Paul, just like Miss Chick, says, you know what? I can see that there's a lot of areas that I need to grow in my life. Jesus says it a different way, doesn't he? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, Christ says, hey, take that low status. You might not be an emperor or a king among men, but there's another kingdom that you're going to be a part of. If you want to be a follower of mine, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. One of my favorite pastors is Charles Spurgeon. He said it like this. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus but Satan's work is just the opposite he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ you see when we get so focused on ourselves we lose track of the gospel we lose track of what it is that we're supposed to be going toward you see so many times we as Christians are in a category that I like to call resume Christians. Anybody ever wrote a resume before? You put your best self forward, don't you? You say, these are all of the characteristics that make me awesome. And a lot of times when it comes to Christianity, we parade those things. We say, yes, I am strong. I am good. I'm a people person. I like to talk. I can talk kind of decent, kind of. We have our, our test, we have our things that we put on our resume, and it's what we put out in front of us, don't we? When, when you introduce yourself to someone, you've got this, this thing, and I'm all right, I'm an all right guy, I'm nice, I put on a smile even when things are bad. I got things together, it's all good. This is something that is not godly. Paul is saying, hey, embrace the low status, yes, Yes, embrace the low status. Don't think that your gift equals maturity. But also when you get into the concept of the gospel, you see there's this concept called grace. Something you didn't earn. You didn't deserve it. You certainly didn't choose it. But Christ looks at us in our pride and in our arrogance and says, you know what? I can give grace that's going to humble the sinner. He says, I can give grace that's going to exalt the Savior. I can give grace that is going to promote holiness in the life of the church. That is what it looks like to be strong in Christ. That is what the Apostle Paul is getting. And he's like, hey, I'm not saying these things to tear you down, guys. I'm saying these things so that you can be imitators, so that you can be strong, so that you can be ardent, passionate followers of Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, it's my prayer that today you do. You see, a strong Christian, even when we embrace the low status, has something that's great to look forward to. We might not have it all together here. We're still broken. We're jaded. So many of us are hypocrites. There are a hundred reasons sitting in this room why you shouldn't be a Christian. But there's one reason I could think of that you should be. And it's even when we're a bunch of bad Christians, we serve a great Savior. Even though we're bad Christians, we serve a God that is able to save even the worst among us. He brings the mighty low, and he makes the low mighty. If you don't have a relationship with him, my prayer is that today you would. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you're a God that graciously saves. That you're a God that graciously gives us gifts and talents. You get the credit and we don't want it. God, we thank you that you graciously draw us to repentance and God, most of all, we thank you that you're able to use the nothings and the nobodies. You use flawed people like me And God, you get all the credit. Father God, just like the song we sang earlier today, God, make our hearts believe that. As we proclaim these things, as we desire to walk humbly before you, God, we pray that you would make our hearts believe it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.